listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Thursday, the 17th of February. You're listening to Recap, brought to you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. Here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. G'day there, Alice. Hey, Jose. How's it going? Yeah, really well, thanks. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And just before we get into today's news, Mm -hmm. I am quite keen to actually revisit something that we talked about yesterday. Uh, I was hoping this would happen. I'm hoping it will be more about the history behind stock tickers and why they exist, because I was absolutely fascinated yesterday when you said that it's to do with how stock price information used to be communicated way back in the day. Yeah, totally. Well, I have some more uh, facts for you. Excellent. Um, so you'll be happy. Um, so if you remember, like yesterday, I kind of mentioned that stock tickers um, evolved from like back in the day. And yeah, as you mentioned, it was to do with how you communicated stock prices. So stock tickers are those like code letters that represent a certain company on a stock exchange. So for example, AIR for Air New Zealand or TSLA for Tesla. Uh, so yeah, stock exchanges have been around for a few centuries, so they predate computers. Now that means that once upon a time, like you or I couldn't just Google a share price or like you know log into the Sharesies app and see what the stock's been doing. Um, back in 1867, someone called Edward Callahan invented a machine that completely revolutionized stock markets, uh, and that was something called the stock ticker machine. Now, these were little machines that received stock price information via telegraph that was then printed onto a thin strip of paper. Uh, the machine made a little ticking noise, hence the name stock ticker machine, and uh, the paper that it got printed on was called ticker tape. Now, this is absolutely fascinating, and earlier today, uh, it was really awesome you sent me like a couple of pictures of these ticker machines yeah. and they look absolutely nuts they don't look like a machine that should actually exist and operate like in the real world they kind of look like something a prop designer would make for a Jim Henson movie that looks so cool totally well I was thinking like some sort of contraption out of Harry Potter even like, yeah yeah, yeah give it a wee google um, yeah totally but, but I'll put a link to what to a couple of those photos <laughs> in the episode description you've got to have a look they look great yeah but anyway I've got even more facts for you. So please, basically please. on that on that ticker tape, um, it would have companies and their prices and each company would have a little shorthand code. Um, and that's how we ended up with the ticker symbols today. So as I mentioned, like this was revolutionary. It was massive technological advancement for stock markets. Basically meant that stock price information was much more available because it transmitted information tr- continuously and over geographical distances too. Mm. And when did ticker machines stop being used? Uh, well, with the rise of computers, stock ticker machines became a bit redundant in the 1960s. Um, but certain aspects of stock ticker machines still exist, like how we use tickers. Um, and then sometimes you come across those electronic scrolling tickers, like there's one in Times Square, or say even here in Wellington on the exterior of the NZX building. Uh, they have the electronic sort of thin screen that scrolls around with company prices. Awesome, really interesting stuff, Alice. Thank you so much for looking all that stuff up. Let's uh, move on and have a look at the Kiwi market, though. I heard that Helenstein Glasson Holdings gave an update today. 
Yeah, that's right. And as the name suggests, Hallenstein Glassons is the retailer behind the Hallensteins and Glassons clothing chains that operate across New Zealand and Australia. Uh, so today the company gave an update on uh, trading, particularly given the impacts of COVID, uh, as well as providing a profit forecast for the six-month period ended the 1st of February 2022. All righty. So let's start off with the trading update. What did Hallenstein Glassons say? Well, the company said that during the half year, a number of its stores continued to be disrupted by COVID, which all up resulted in 5,432 lost trading days. Now, in Australia, all of the 26 glassing stores across Victoria and New South Wales were closed from the start of the financial year in August until October last year. Uh, as for Queensland, the company's 11 stores there were also closed for a week. And what about all of the stores here in New Zealand? Well, it's 42 Hallenstein stores and 36 Glassen stores were closed for that three-week period sort of across August and September while we were in alert level four. Uh, and then the Auckland stores remained closed until early November with that lockdown uh, being extended. Yeah, and how did that impact the company? Uh, Hallenstein Glassen said that online sales during this time was a really important part of the business. In fact, they accounted for 33% of total sales for the first half of the financial year. Uh, the company also said that where stores were unable to trade due to lockdowns, it has tried to get rent relief from landlords. Uh, but with the current COVID settings in both Australia and New Zealand, all of the company's stores across its entire network are currently open. And right at the start, you said that the Hallenstein Glassons uh, gave a profit forecast. What was that? Well, the company advised today that all up it expects sales for the first half of the year to be $170 million, which would be a 6% decrease compared to the same period a year ago. Uh, as for profit, the company is expecting that to be in the range of $11.1 to $12.1 million for that half year. Uh, this would be down from around $20 million for the same period last year. Uh, we'll find out though um, in March, the company is due to release its half year results on the 25th of March. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Alice. What on earth is that, Jose? Oh, well, this is the national anthem of Sweden. It's called Du Gamla Du Fria. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, that translate to, translates to the ancient, the free. And I'm playing it in honour of a company that's made the news quite a bit recently. And if it's a Swedish anthem, I'm going to guess it, it must be Spotify that you're talking about. Yes, I had a great catch. You picked it. Spotify is probably the most well-known music streaming service out there. And it's headquartered in Stockholm. And it has been in the news lately over controversy over its rock star podcaster Joe Rogan, who drew the ire of ageing rock star Neil Young. Uh, as you might remember, Neil Young withdrew all his music from Spotify in protest over what he called COVID-19 misinformation on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. And so why are we talking about Spotify today? So the company announced overnight New Zealand time that it's making two more acquisitions in what has been a fairly long pattern of buying podcast companies. Uh, so for example, they paid $150 million, quite famously for Joe Rogan, to stream exclusively uh, from the Spotify podcast platform uh, they've bought other talent uh, like Gimlet Media the Ringer and Parcast and they recently they bought the fairly hefty podcast ad platform Megaphone in 2020. Okay so what did Spotify buy this time and what's the meat of the deals? 
Well, Spotify has announced is that they've bought two podcast technology companies, Podsites and Chartable. And what these two companies do is basically provide services and platforms that help podcasters and advertisers with measurement and attribution. In other words, they help work out who's listening to a podcast, who's hearing the ads, and if uh, they took any action after hearing them. And these are kind of like sort of perennial problems in the podcasting world, working out if an ad's working and who's listening. And are these both companies that are working on the advertiser side of the equation? Podsites definitely is. They deliver what's called marketing insights to their customers. Spotify says they plan to eventually move Podsites measurement services to the rest of the Spotify platform. So, you know, all the the music and whatnot. Uh, Chartable is more about servicing podcast creators and publishers and helping them turn what they learn from audience insights into ways to expand their listenership. Chartable will become part of Megaphone, whilst Podsites will join Spotify as uh, its own integrated unit. And how much does Spotify, sorry, Spotify pay for these companies? Yeah, I trip on that heaps as well. Uh, what do we don't know what they pay. The price for either of those two companies hasn't been disclosed. Uh, now, that is un, un, isn't unusual for Spotify. They don't tend to release details like that until later. Uh, usually it's when they file documentation with regulators in the United States. All right, and I'll move over to the US where computer chip maker NVIDIA released its fourth quarter earnings as markets close on Tuesday. Now, this comes just a week after the company's deal to acquire ARM, another computer chip designer, fell apart due to regulatory difficulties. How did the NVIDIA's results go? Uh, so revenue came in at a record $7.6 billion for the quarter. That was up 53% year on year and was higher than the $7.4 billion that analysts had expected. Now, NVIDIA also made a profit of $3 billion for the quarter, uh, which was just over double from a year ago. And what was behind those results? Uh, well, CEO Jensen Huang said in the earnings report, there's, quote, exceptional demand for NVIDIA's computing platforms, unquote. Uh, that revenue figure was boosted by the company's gaming and data center divisions, which also each achieved record revenue for the quarter. Now, gaming is NVIDIA's largest division, uh, and its graphics processes are used in sort of the making of computer games. Now, revenue from gaming rose 37% year on year to $3.4 billion. And what about the data center? part of the business. Uh, that was up 71%, uh, that's revenue that is, from a year ago to just under $3.3 billion. Um, a highlight for this part of the business that the company called out is that Meta uh, will actually be using NVIDIA's chips for some of its AI research. In the second half of last year, supply chains and semiconductor or computer chip shortages were in the news basically every other day. Did NVIDIA say anything at all about those? Well, according to CNBC, uh, on the analyst call, Huang said that uh, supply chain constraints were easing and that the company expects to be able to substantially increase its supply of chips in the second half of th this year. And did the company give any guidance at all about what's in store for the next quarter? Uh, yep, NVIDIA said it expects to make $8.1 billion in revenue this quarter, uh, and that was higher than analyst expectations of $7.3 billion. Awesome. Thank you very much, Alice. And that brings us to the end of the show. That was recap for the 17th of February. Thank you so much for listening. And it would be a help if you gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Our email is recap at sharesies.co.nz. And you can also leave a voice message. There's a link to that in the episode description. Matiwa. Yeah.